0: Thank <laughs> you. Welcome, one and all, to the Death Defying Human Flycast. My name is Max Romero, and I'll be your host on this one-of-a-kind journey into the world of the superhero stuntman called the Human Fly. He's the wildest superhero ever, because he was real. Today we're joined by a very special guest, the host of the Signal Watch podcast, Superman Superfan, and someone I'm proud to call a friend, Ryan Steens. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is a total kick to be on. I was just saying this is, uh, we're already going behind the curtain here, but <laughs> I was just saying how much I enjoy your podcast and everyone who, uh, likes anything, pop culture, anything about the movies, especially everyone should go check out your podcast because it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's called, uh, signal hyphen watch.com is the, is the website. So I can plug it early. So I don't forget <laughs> Um, but yeah, it we we mostly cover movies, uh and we've been trying to do a few other things of late. But yeah, it it, it we just try and hang out and talk about uh whatever movies people feel impacted their lives somehow. So yeah.
0: like I said, it's a, it's it's a great listen. Okay, so Ryan, you were also telling me, I believe,
1: this is the first time you've read The Human Fly, right? It is absolutely I I <laughs> have not read The Human Fly. I was vaguely aware of the real figure of the human fly um but i had not read the comic before
0: Mm -hmm. so you mean that you've you had heard about the stuntman the the actual rick rojat human fly
1: yeah i I think back in the like glory days of comic blogging back around like 2003 2004 one of the sites at the time uh like comic book resources back when it was um you know a little more dignified uh had (laughs) done some done done a story on the human fly and and maybe the probably because of the comic book tie in and just really the image of the real guy wearing a a full-on superhero costume just stuck with me Uh, i was not aware of the scale at which he'd operated but i I was aware he'd existed
0: yeah and i was actually just telling my wife (laughs) this afternoon uh sandy who you know I was because she was kind of saying, So, what is this guy's deal? (laughs) And so I had to kind of explain to her and saying it out loud, it sounds so crazy. As listeners know already, the Human Fly was a Canadian stuntman sponsored by a sausage company who went to Marvel and somehow managed to wiggle their way in because Marvel was all about, they were all about licensing characters. And somehow (laughs) they managed to talk their way into a, uh what ended up being this
1: 19 issue series it's it's absolutely fascinating i mean I, I i came at it really in in reading this issue i'm a huge mr miracle fan of the the kirby mm-hmm. era and you're just like the real guy was scot free in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like he wasn't necessarily escaping things but when i think about like the cover for mr miracle number one with him strapped to the rocket getting shot into space uh of him you know scott free in the rocket chair about to get you know shot at a wall it's like that's this guy Mm -hmm. have you guys talked about the similarities between them before
0: someone has mentioned it but yeah i think that's absolutely true uh what was brought up before was that the human fly had a lot of potential to be marvel's mr miracle
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, this comic is completely different, and and I don't (laughs) know if Mantlo intentionally went completely, you know, there's obviously no fourth world sort of elements into the thing. I don't know if the series, as it progresses, starts to incorporate the supernatural or anything um, no that this, would this be... is this is uh, this is it <laughs> this is what okay. we get to... um, yeah it's really interesting to see this like really straight take on on the mr miracle concept with also the what i i take as kind of being the like late 60s into the 70s you know kind of like nascar pit crew sort of concept mm-hmm. around our hero yeah, I mean, I, I straight up enjoyed the comic, both ironically and kind of in, in a in a pure way. It was it was sure. a, it was a real kick to read.
0: You know, I think you and I are of similar vintage. I definitely remember the stuntman trend, which was around this time, and and we've discussed on other episodes too how the human fly had at least in his own mind this rivalry with Evil Knievel. And uh, that was, you know, that's an interesting thing too. And I can see where Marvel probably thought here's a cheap way to jump in on that trend
1: because especially in those days, there was never a trend that Marvel would, did not want to jump on. Yeah. It's such an interesting period at Marvel. Um, I I, not that long ago read that, like the complete history of Marvel or whatever, the kind Mm -hmm. of unauthorized and them kind of talking about this era when, Stan had kind of taken off for the coast to go make cartoons and you know license stuff, and it's it really just felt like the wild west must have been happening. Like anyone who <laughs> showed up at Marvel with an idea, they were kind of like, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, so that like a, a sausage sponsored stuntman showed up, <laughs> and they were like, yes, uh, totally, totally tracks. I, I I I love the fact that i mean marvel at that point just feels so much like kids in a clubhouse and they to some of this is like you know they gotta eat their vegetables so they can you know do the (laughs) stuff that they want to do and you know have dessert you know and make their crazy cosmic comics that like if the parents ever picked them up and figured out what was going on them those kids would have those comics ripped right out of their hands but this is the stuff that like if the parents picked it up they'd be like yeah all right um this this totally makes sense you know it's got kind of the superman angle of like mm-hmm. well, i don't know it's not a superman angle i was, was going to say there's kind of a lois lane in it but she seems to be on a bit of an arc mm-hmm. um she's like trying to figure out what's going on with the human fly um i i, I liked the the crew that was continually drawn in intense kirby panels um <laughs> Always all staring the same direction together, yeah. like just like keep moving the faces around the edge of the frame <laughs> um, you
0: know that's a that's a very good observation i had never i hadn't really uh noticed that they they do do that the 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 crew is always kind of very intent on what's happening with the fly
1: <laughs> it it has this weird kind of kirby energy to them of like being really concerned about it all together, all sharing the same energy that doesn't really match anybody else's energy that's going on in the rest of what's going on in the story. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I know we're supposed to talk about the actual plot of issue seven here of the human fly. So I'm going to, I'm going to defer to you, sir. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to go ahead and uh, get into
0: the synopsis here today. We're talking about issue number seven of the human fly uh, titled Snowblind. The issue was written of course, by Bill Mantlo who wrote all of these issues. Uh, We have art by Lee Elias, inks by Mike Esposito, and letters by Bruce D. Patterson, who for some reason is only credited as Patterson on the page. Mary Titus provided the coloring, and Archie Goodwin was the editor. Our story begins with something new, another character narrating the action. This is the first time that's happened. And there is quite a lot of action to introduce on this splash page, as the reader is told by the incapacitated Mal Evans that, yes, that's him face down in the Vermont snow and the child begging him to answer his cries, apparently unaware of the giant bear towering behind him, is his blind son, Andy, who lost his sight in the same auto accident that claimed the life of his mother. Watching over the whole scene is a ghostly image of the human fly, who is somehow key to this life-and-death story. We flash back to the Green Mountain Winter Festival, where a crowd of skiers and partygoers are enjoying the fun. But in a nearby garage, we find the human fly and his faithful crew, Blaze, Ted, and Arnie, Fussing over a rocket-powered snowmobile, of course, and the fly's safety. The planned stunt will be dangerous, but the money raised will be enough to build an orphanage, so he's ready to take the risk. In yet another workshop on the festival grounds, Mal bitterly works on damaged snowmobiles, grousing about the rich patrons and his lot in life. He brightens up, though, with the arrival of his son Andy and Andy seeing eye dog Frost. Back with the crew, the fly runs into muck raking reporter and thorn-in-his-side Harmony White. Surprised by Harmony's pleasant greeting, the human fly rehashes the past and all the criticism she's heaped on his endeavors. In another surprise, Harmony actually apologizes, admitting she was wrong about him. The human fly instantly accepts her apology, because he's just that kind of guy, and runs off to prepare for his stunt. At the same time as the fly is roaring down a 60 degree incline on his rocket snowmobile, and I cannot say that enough times, rocket (laughs) snowmobile toward dead man's drop. Mal has taken Andy for a ride on his own snowmobile, depressingly reminding himself that some people are cheered and others are just so-called grease monkeys. Andy hears the cheers and asks his dad what's going on. Mal tells him it's just more of the festival. We flip back and forth between the fly's tense inner monologue as he nears the deadly ravine and Mal's conversation with Andy, who wonders what frost looks like. Mal tells him he might be able to see for himself someday and that he's working so hard so he can afford a trip to New York a world-class surgeon may be able to restore Andy's sight. Now the human fly is at the ravine, and over it. Soaring over the edge, all is quiet, until the fly hits the rockets and blazes across the sky. In a moment of guts and skill, the human fly roars over the gulf below and safely to the other side. Back on the ground, though, Mal and Andy have run right into the path of a huge bear. Swerving desperately to avoid the enormous animal, their snowmobile slips, slides, and tumbles, throwing Mal and Andy to the ground, knocking Mal out as the bear, well, bears down on his son. On the edge of the ravine, the human fly leaps off his snowmobile and races down. While rocketing over the ravine, the fly spotted the accident and now rushes to the scene. The crew quickly pieces together that someone must be in trouble and hurry to go to the fly's aid. Figuring out that it might have something to do with the blind child they saw earlier, the crew unleashes Frost so they can follow the dog on skis. After a brief internal struggle, Harmony straps on skis herself and follows the crew so she too can help the human fly, who, she admits to herself, she may even like. Meanwhile, sliding down the slope, the human fly leaps onto the back of the bear and puts it into a chokehold using his trusty baton. Andy, still unaware of what exactly is happening, cries out for his father, who is still out cold. The bear easily shakes the fly loose and soon has our hero in a vicious bear hug. A smart kid, Andy figures out that his father must be injured and that whoever is trying to help him is obviously dealing with a yogi gone wrong. At that moment, Frost arrives, attacking the bear and surprising it enough that it drops the breathless fly. Grabbing a flare gun from the snowmobile, Andy uses the ruckus to aim and fires. The flare shoots into the bear and the shock and pain sends it scurrying back into the forest. The human fly tells Andy that not only did he save his now conscious father, but the fly himself. The crew and Harmony finally catch up and determine Mal has broken some ribs, but it's otherwise okay. Explaining that his son is a hero, the human fly tells Mal that he's sure he can arrange to have some of the money raised by the stunt go to Andy's surgery. In his narration, Mal says he didn't know what to say, but that sometimes words just aren't important. And with a hand on his shoulder, the human fly asks Andy to lead them home. The end. So Ryan, that's a lot of story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gripping tale.
1: There's a lot going on. Uh how was this as an introduction to the Human Fly? You know, it reminded me a lot of when I first started picking up comics, uh when I when I really kind of got into them in the early 80s. Not necessarily the content because I think even by then, you know, they weren't really doing stuff quite like this anymore at Marvel, uh even as like licensed stuff. Although the first thing that popped in my head uh reading this was n f l Super pro um, <laughs> of kind of like, well, what do we do with this guy you know that that's like a real person? We can only bend reality so much around them mm-hmm. um, but everything's in the issue that you need to know. And it's so refreshing in this era of like three panels, a page and no one ever explaining or even saying each other's names half the time. Right. Um, to to have a complete end to end story where you understand it's part of a serial. Like I knew Harmony white's entire deal. Um, <laughs> right. And she was, she was barely in the issue Um, in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. um, There was a complete story going on with Andy and his dad and and i guess frost that right. is taken from beginning to end and it, you know it's a reflective kind of of tv of that era too of you know you you didn't have a, a dvr or anything you 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 had to do everything in these discrete packets even as you move the story forward um and so it, it, part of me just like really enjoyed that aspect of, of reading a comic that was self-contained like that again because i haven't been reading many back issues lately the story is completely bananas cuckoo i mean <laughs> from start to finish it it it's it's stuff that if you were to i, I think it'd still be fun for a kid who was like 11 just as like i of course if you're like in your 20s and you're looking for your gritty realism you know right. in your comic this is going to be a tough sell but I, I i think you know is it you know nostalgic 40 something reading something like this and remembering this era it, it's a good read for, you know, however many pages it was, which I can't mm-hmm. remember at this point. I really think
0: it is. It's something that, and I've I, I, this is a drum I keep beating, but these comics are just at the base level are just a lot of fun. And I think that's all Mantlo is trying to do. He's not trying to do anything bigger other than say, here's a good guy. I I think I've mentioned it, actually, and you you brought it up again, how there's a little bit of a Superman thing going on here in the sense that this is a person who is doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing. He is making the effort consciously to be an aspirational figure to others. And, you know, to me, that is that Superman. I like that it's a it's a story that you can just pick up and you can read. And like you said, you kind of know everyone's deal enough that you can enjoy the story. I don't feel like it's repetitious or that it's bogged down by doing that because there is just so much action. (laughs) There's so much, as you say, crazy stuff going on that it it just zooms
1: by for me. Yeah. I mean, I think about like, um, you know, the shows that, that were on at the time, like the Hulk um, or wonder woman. I, I I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kind of constantly on a loop, and am rewatching uh the Linda Carter Wonder Woman show, especially now that it's on h b o Max and like oh, right. watch <laughs> it for ten minutes here in between other things where you know there's always an uh the the Wonder Woman getting inserted into the plot, but there's always another story going on, and you have this like love of the the father and his son and and i i i when I was thinking about how I was going to talk about this. You know, there was a lot of things I wanted to make fun of. And we've kind of gone for the sincere <laughs> angle here. And I'm gonna pursue that. No, oh, you can um, no
0: b- make fun of whatever you want
1: to. <laughs> That's fine too. I want to start with the fact his name is the human fly. <laughs> like I know I knew growing up what a human fly was, because right. it was it was just kind of a and it's fascinating that this guy kind of tried to like brand it. Because I remember a guy climbing the outside of a building in Houston when I was a kid mm-hmm. and them calling him a human fly. Um and apparently that goes way back to like the turn of the of the to the nineteenth to the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Like even right. back then I guess it was being used. But you know, it's like, well, the human fly, is he is he you know, does he hang around picnics unwanted? <laughs> like why is he the human fly? <laughs> uh, he doesn't fly. Nope. Um I, when when you first pitched it to me, I thought you were talking about uh because I, I all of which like total brain gap. I did listen to the first like episode or two of this series, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh right. Once I started actually like looking at everything again, and I but I confused it briefly with the Ar- Archie character. Oh yeah, yeah. Why? Sure. And I was like, man, I know nothing about that dude. Like this is going to be a disaster of a podcast. Well, a lot um, of people confuse
0: him with the Spider Man villain. Oh, do you remember him? No. Yeah. He was, he was actually more of a h- actual human fly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, some people compute. Yeah. No one, no one knows who this guy is. It's, he's, he, is, <laughs> he,
1: which is a shame. I, he I ran for a family. year and a half. Just imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. That's he, amazing.
0: But you know, and this was something I was talking about earlier um, is that one thing that's amazing, and I guess it has to do with the rights maybe But the human fly is completely self-contained within his series. He does not guest star in any other comics. Yeah. And other characters guest star in his comics, but then it's never mentioned anywhere else again. So the human fly is a part of the Marvel universe, but he's like in this pocket dimension all on his own. It's, it's really interesting because if you want to, to basically get a complete overview of the human fly, you just need these 19 issues
1: when you think about like Marvel around the same time was doing the Godzilla series where Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I don't think the X-Men like ran into him, but I know other characters did. Um, But it was all supposed to be happening, you know, on the other side of the planet from Manhattan. So, but, you know, and then I think about like when I first, first started reading comics, one of the things I picked up that I, I've since sold and I just kicked myself for it was that original Transformers series that had like, black suit spider-man guest mm-hmm. star there was always this like well we're going to just incorporate the micronauts were a licensed thing and that was like key marvel stuff that i'm not sure isn't part of like avengers endgame it's kind of crazy you know than nfl super pro <laughs> right and you know and other things um, warriors right rom yeah all those and they're still they're still trying to unpack the fact that they kind of would like rom to still be part of the marvel mm mm-hmm um i oh, still yeah. can't figure out quite why that hasn't sorted itself out but it, it created a lot of headaches obviously because no one was worrying about any of this stuff at the time but yeah it's it's an interesting little little corner that this guy who wants to hang around picnics unwanted uh, <laughs> is carved out but I, I i found the other thing i found really fascinating was that they as a narrative choice uh was that they decided the narrator would be a guy who spends a third of the comic unconscious in the climax of the story i wondered about that how
0: is he narrating something that he's supposed to be (laughs) i mean one
1: of of my favorite movies is sunset boulevard and that's narrated by a guy floating dead in a pool so uh, (laughs) i'm not giving anything away that's the first scene so
0: um, that's a a very heady comparison
1: (laughs) (laughs) but that was the closest i could think of was like you know i could just see mantlo sitting down at his typewriter cracking his knuckles and just going i got a script due in like eight hours <laughs> i gotta pound something out here and then right. this happens and then that happens and now i've got my pages and i'm handing them in i mean there's just little tells on that that no one was really paying that much attention like the fact that the word grease monkeys used like four times in the mm-hmm. first four pages <laughs> right like but, even but you know, the that's, editor is, was like whatever right
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and I think some of that, too, is just kind of Mantlo's power as a script writer who could take, you know, the, the barest concept and somehow blow it out into something, uh you know, that is much more than the sum of its parts. And he does that with The Human Fly. He did that with Rocket Raccoon, you know, who is now like an international star. Mantlo was... To say he had a fertile imagination is, <laughs> is really kind of underselling it.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I in in I think eighty six, I spent my Christmas money. I'd seen it on the shelf at Austin Books, uh, on on the four issues in a bag of, of Rocket Raccoon. Mm. Um, and I was a Rocket Raccoon guy, which was a weird thing to be, I guess, in eighty six. I was like, Man, this series has got everything. I love that. And, series. It's amazing. <laughs> but every, you know, then Marvel like tried to like deep six, the character for like 30 years. And then James Gunn's like, you know, it would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he was in the, the annihilation era. Mm-hmm. Guardians yeah, before yeah. that. Yeah. But it's, it's fascinating to me that everybody on the planet now know who knows who rocket raccoon is. It's, Mm-hmm. absolutely baffling and of course tragic I mean I'm sure you've already covered everything yeah. about what's going on with Mantlo but right. yeah I mean the ability to kind of take any crazy idea and turn it into something is, is, is absolutely fascinating you know there's some stuff in here that like if we want to be like boring we can say it doesn't make sense like turning <laughs> on the rockets when you're already in the air with your right. snowmobile <laughs> should have made the human fly a lot more dead <laughs> Um, (laughs) you know i'll take it for the for the purposes of the story but i love the fact that he's like soaring through the air Mm -hmm. and seeing this father and son moment below him yeah and hitting the rocket (laughs) and hitting the rocket at the same time it's like he can he can really multitask this guy (laughs) the um the baton is the thing that like he's kind of got his gold cane like Mm -hmm. like it it feels positively like 1920s entertainer sort of thing <laughs> i, I kind of love that about it like did the yeah. real human fly have that gold he did he carried okay. that pimp stick yeah he, he,
0: he it's uh an essential i mean it, this is issue seven and i have lost uh-huh. count of how many times that baton has saved his life
1: <laughs> so does it, it does it have powers or does it does no, it like no. it, it's not like daredevil's cane that like kind of okay it's,
0: it is like daredevil's cane and batman's utility built in one okay <laughs> it uh the i was topic like because that, that would be a out.
1: total waste of comic brain energy <laughs> if <laughs> nobody thought to do that oh it's no just no a stick. okay
0: no and it's and seriously it's like the utility belt it does what it needs to do when it needs to do it so <laughs> so there's a bolo at the top which is also a flashlight mm. It does so many things. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And yeah, but this time he just uses it to chug out a bear. It has many uses.
1: My mic I laughed so hard at that. But yeah. Um. Yeah. There you are. Okay. Yeah. I laughed so hard at the bear comment, I dropped the mic. It fell off the chair. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> So, did you ever play the the mayfair d c game back in the eighties or no, early nineties? No okay, so there was a concept in it called and i and I, I this is it. this is what the cane is. There was a concept in it that if you were like a character like Green Arrow or Batman, you could have what they called an omni gadget mm-hmm. and you had to spend a ton of character points to have one. but the basic idea was it is whatever I need it to be in this moment, and that didn't mean that it was like a Swiss army knife. it meant. This is my walking plot point, right? And like, if I suddenly need a net that I can throw at people, <laughs> like I've got it. And so I kind of love the idea that his is a little gold pimp cane. That's that's kind of sweet. I, I dig that. I do find it like in in real life, the human fly wore a, a bit of a, a cape or something, right? And this guy, he did, he, yeah, but he's not here. I guess no. You can see West it Winter's on the instance. on the cover.
0: You can see it in the in the right. corner box. You can see oh, right, the right, you right. can see his cape. But yeah, I was actually gonna that was in my notes. He actually is wearing. This is on what page? On page two? Page three? Uh, he is actually wearing a pretty snazzy little jacket there. <laughs> it, looks, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And usually he's he's wearing you know the cape, and sometimes he takes it off you know if he's really throwing down. But here he's wearing a, a very kind of classic <laughs> ski jacket i guess and, and his own uh fly colors you know the the red with the <laughs> with the some stars going across and the white lines and it looks pretty
1: sharp it's i guess they probably showed up with that costume at the marvel offices like it was already like that ship had sailed they didn't co-design <laughs> the human fly yeah i don't believe so They're, i think thank yeah, I goodness think the, the costume the... was so simple
0: mm-hmm. You know it's there's so much about this character that at face value could come off as well does uh come off as ridiculous or overdone or overblown, but if you just go along for the ride, it really works for what it is and and what it is is just a crazy comic about a stunt man who keeps getting roped into
1: adventures <laughs> you know which sometimes... you know yeah i mean that that's it's the fall guy right right. I mean, his, his people seem more competent than Howie and
0: Jody, but um... <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's a super villain and sometimes it's a bear. It's kind of all over the place, which is, I also appreciate about it because I like that. It's predictably unpredictable. I know the fly is going to win, but I don't know how, and I don't know what crazy stunt he's going to have to do <laughs> in order to get there. And I don't know what he's going to be fighting or who he's going to be
1: fighting, and it did not see a, a 800 pound bear being the villain of the no. story. <laughs> no, I did not.
0: You know, even though it's right there on, it's right there on the cover and it is a wonderful cover. I have talked about this before. Also how these human fly covers are some of my favorite covers of any comics because there is always so much going on. They are so dynamic. And this one is especially nuts because it has the human fly literally flying by on his rocket snowmobile, which is like blind on a rocket cycle. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And the the jets are going, there's this enormous bear taking up really the entire bottom left corner, threatening a child (laughs) who's, who's cowering in the bottom right. And if you look behind him, you can see a man face down in the snow with a wrecked snowmobile next to him. And it just says fury in the wild. And if I had seen this on the stands
1: in those days, yes, I'm going to buy this comic. You know, I, I, I think maybe I would have too. like, there's enough going on here and it didn't, it doesn't have like some obvious story that it's going to be hard to get into. Like as a, as a, as a kid coming to comics, that was a huge off-putting thing for me was, um, you know one coming in part way through a story i freaking hated when i spent my 65 75 cents in on a new series and realized like i, I don't know who any of these people are or what's going on which kept me really made me a marvel guy instead of a dc guy when i started reading comics what i would also say is the comics and the coloring in the comics in this era i've gotten a real appreciation for uh, for for the covers if nothing else um at my local comic book shop lately they've been kind of putting up these displays of 70s era marvel up on the wall and oh my god it's just they're just beautiful compared to the like everything's got to be deep somber tones Mm -hmm. now and everything's got to look like a poster that you get a real good i mean it's like a movie trailer is it on the on the cover as far as how much story you get Mm -hmm. and the design that these guys were pulling off. I mean, you can tell that there's like legitimate artistic training instead of Mm -hmm. like Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of like, this is how comics are made. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the, the character dynamics of the human flies pose and kind of like, you can tell he's kind of, I mean, you can tell just looking at the way they drew him, he's trying to fight the velocity of his, Mm -hmm snowmobiles he's jumping off and trying to land on the yeah it's so cool <laughs>
0: it's so cool it, um it is i mean all, all these are beginning to be like back tattoos they're they're just crazy they're, there's these action scenes that are just you know
1: beyond what did you think of leo Lice's pencils it was my first i think experience I, I remember getting to about the the page where it was all the um flashbacks of all the times he he'd had other adventures which is mm-hmm. a fun page because it was getting me into uh what was going on you know kind of it, it it feels very house style of of marvel at the time right um which is not a knock like i just went off about how great i thought their covers were in this period it's interesting to me because mike esposito's name sticks out to me way more than leo Elias. mm-hmm um, and I'm not exactly sure where those connections are coming from. You can tell I did zero research before this. And I really apologize.
0: <laughs> no, no. I, um, I sprung this on you at the last minute, so that's perfectly fine.
1: But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably the wonkiest page is the weird splash page of the Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can tell he just is like, I'm not drawing all these guys. <laughs> um, I'm gonna It, draw is, it the, is a big crowd. It's a huge yeah, crowd. Yeah. And, and for some reason, there's clowns because there's always got to be clowns um uh, right. and, and santa looks ill but aside from that i mean the the, fa- the faces are all distinct um mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating His his little like crew that he's got um which i also have questions about so are they did they do the the kind of 70s thing of saying these people are all different ethnicities kind of ted i believe
0: is uh uh I think he's indigenous. I think he's Native American. Okay. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, he, if you notice, he has hooks for hands. Uh he, I didn't notice. Oh my god. Yes. He has hooks for hands. He lost his hands uh in Vietnam. Because all of these people were somehow in a sense, you know, quote unquote rescued by uh by the human fly. They were all he, yeah, he came to them all when they were at their lowest point. So uh ted lost his hands in vietnam and he basically thought his life was over blaze kendall uh was a was a commercial jet pilot who actually saved uh, a, a plane when the when the main pilot lost consciousness and she she saved the whole plane load of people but it, it kind of rattled her and she couldn't fly again after that uh arnie is actually the exception we have not gotten to his story yet we have not gotten to uh what exactly his connection to the fly is but they have all been helped by, by the fly. And so now they all work for him. Ted is the one who designs the stunts. Uh, Cause he's an engineer. Blaze does some of the technical stuff and she also, you know, flies them around. She, you know, she, she, um, is the so aviation an expert? She's not just girl.
1: As she is not just in, like, girl at all. or so. Okay.
0: No, no. Blaze is actually a very cool, co- <laughs> a very cool character. I, I like her a lot. Uh, and uh, Arnie is the P R guy. They never mention it, but Arnie is obviously meant to be Jewish. Yeah, he's 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 meant to be you know New York Jewish. So yeah, so it it is a very um, diverse group.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a nice, um, I mean, Challengers of the Unknown didn't like uh, start anything brand new of like a team of people who are kind of at a low point, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, going on and doing something. Uh, It it, it has almost a more of a shadow sort of uh, appeal of like, here's kind of your main mysterious guy and then his support career, Doc Savage. And I I always like that dynamic. I always think that that's something that comics have kind of lost in there. Drive to have everything be about things. Like I, I I don't want to sound a thousand years old, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Like, how many Spider Mans do you need? How many Batman's do you need? Like, if they're all only talking to each other, that gets really boring. What's interesting to me, and I may just be saying this as a guy who thinks Superman should be hanging out at the Daily Planet with like Jimmy and Lois, but. The idea is, you know, he's a he's a he's a freak walking around. I'm looking at this picture of him walking through the the lodge here, uh as Harmony's getting his attention. And he's totally unique. He pops in the frame and you know, but everybody else is just someone, you know, who's there for a winter festival. You know, you don't have need to worry about five other human flies showing up and and like the multiverse of flies. It makes him unique, even though he's a mortal, as far as I know, a mortal human. And I, I think that that is something comics have kind of forgotten and gotten away from too much.
0: No, I agree. And I think also what has been kind of lost in the, you see in this comic is a hero that is not always prepared and always a, a hero who is fallible mm-hmm. and, and is human because there are many instances where this character and other comics, and even in this one, where if he did not get help from someone he would be in real trouble you know and in, in this one when andy shoots the bear with the with the uh, flare gun if he hadn't done that the bear was basically i mean the bear <laughs> the the human fly was being crushed by the bear you know and oh, that could, yeah that could yeah. have been the end of the
1: human fly yeah you, you're on full grizzly man and the, the <laughs> right. to just find the rocket sled in the tree and right all right yeah <laughs> um, yeah. yeah
0: and, I, and I, I like that aspect of this character that he for all his skill for all, all his ability he's still just a guy and that he needs his friends he needs the the other people to also step up and be heroic in their own ways for him to be successful
1: yeah it, it's such a weird thing to kind of start dwelling on in this kind of nuts comic of of, of you know, a, a dad who's like dwelling on the, his lot in life and, and there's so much stuff going on once you actually start like really drilling into it and kind of what was going on in comics at the time and kind of, you know, what, what kind of story are we actually telling and what are we saying mm-hmm. about the character? I'm looking at the panel, the dad getting knocked out against the tree and dad should have been dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he hits the tree face first. He doesn't hit it helmet first. Nope. That dad should have been a goner. And they're like, Your ribs broke. I'm like, his ribs. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He he hit his face so hard it broke his ribs. (laughs) 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 Um but yeah, he uh I I, I love the idea of these people all having their unique skills and him understanding like they just need a, a leg up and they need, you know, the encouragement, and we're gonna be a team you Mm -hmm. know dadgummit he's he's the ted lasso of stuntman (laughs) superheroes i guess
0: what did you think of that sequence of panels on page eight where he goes back and forth between the fly and and mal evans
1: yeah it's probably like as most literary as you're gonna get in the human fly comic Mm -hmm. um of, of yeah i mean it is the one where he is soaring over the valley um you know to the applause I did found it kind of fascinating because this is the one where I really noticed the uh, crowded group being concerned for him. And I kind of went back through the comic and and to see how much more of it there was. No, I think it's, it's an interesting bit of storytelling and Mal's feeling low about himself and, and kind of the thing you lose when you lose the, the thought bubbles Mm -hmm. Um, you can do it. You see it now with kind of the, whatever the the framed internal monologues but because you kind of have this whole setup and um also seeing the fly you know they're they're converging at this point right he's alone and he's he's doing stuff for people who have who have everything and he has nothing and you know in his shed um and meanwhile the human fly who is doing this i think he said for an orphanage Mm -hmm. yeah he's raising money for an orphanage yeah what a guy um (laughs) he he's walking through to the delight of everybody and everyone's there to applaud him so yeah and you know even the the inking on this page casts a shadow uh over mal's face as he's looking up at, at the human fly as he's kind of sailing overwork so mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. it's uh there there's some there could be some poetry in these things yeah well and you know like I always I always have to stop myself
0: because I don't want to <laughs> layer more meaning into these, into these uh, you know, human fly issues than might be there. But I think one thing that's interesting about this is that it's very easy to think, oh, this is a story about the human fly rescuing a child, right? But to my mind, the one he's really rescuing is the father. I, I think he is the one that the human fly is actually helping. Because he yeah one hundred percent yeah yeah because you know the father is is kind of bitter he's feeling desperate he wants to help his son but he can't and uh, he's resentful of people like the human fly because he thinks you know that they're getting glory and raising all this money when you know he just needs a fraction of that to be able to to help his son and in the end the fly uh, you know obviously helps him with with money. But more than that, helps him by the through the example of saying this guy that I was disparaging in a way came back to help us when really he didn't have to do that at all, and that kind of breaks through something in in Mal, and I thought that was that was really kind of interesting. That was kind of a, a subtle
1: little head fake from Mantlo there. Yeah, I I think that there's something that, and I don't know, I'm not a, a child anymore reading comics, but you know the. the <laughs> the 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 kind of stuff when people would say oh you know comics are are kitty junk you know when i was a kid and um i mean i i definitely you know wrestled with some of that with you know adults in my sphere when i when i started picking up comics whether those stories would have been on tv if i would have processed them the same way as your brain processes these thoughts these are the inner mm-hmm. monologues of of adults being written by adults but in a way that's really consumable by kids and and understandable. Like in some ways, the whole thing with Mal, if I was to sit down as a, you know, I'm going to turn this into a, you know, two hour movie or something. The the thing doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. Like this is the kind of stuff that you'd have to, (laughs) you'd have to flesh out a whole lot, you know, and as they do, they overly think out everything for the TV shows and movies now. But the idea of this guy who's seeing an adult who's in pain, and and that he doesn't feel like he's taking good care of his kid and he's living kind of in the wake of tragedy is the kind of stuff that would sometimes really resonate with me as a young reader um because adults didn't ever cop to that in your real world right Mm -hmm. maybe you catch some glimpses of it around your parents or whatever but It was part of what you actually took in and kind of processed and you know there were you could have your metaphors for that you know that were applying like it was part of my early attraction to uh, x-men was kind of all the metaphors that were Mm -hmm. in there and kind of the experiences people were having kind of out in the world dealing which was i was very very aware of what the metaphors were for right even in like fourth fifth grade when i'm first reading x-men but you know, this, this kind of stuff, you know, I don't know how much of this stuff is, you know, if, if what in what kids are reading now, I don't think it like turned us into a great generation because we we're all reading like the human fly, <laughs> but it, it was how I started to access some of this stuff before then, sure. you know, started reading like Stephen King books or whatever on myself a few years later. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I deeply appreciate the fact that these people were like, This is so different from if you're reading, like, late 50s, early 60s Superman comics, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which are all about Superman living under the yoke of the Comics Code Authority and just screwing endlessly with Lois because that's all he's allowed to do anymore. Uh, Where There's no real human interaction going on between the characters in those stories. When you did have a Superman story where there was, like, emotion in it, it feels like something just exploded in your face. And I, I, I am. My guess is, I mean, this was just kind of Marvel at this point. You know, it was just in the water there, and they were just including mm-hmm. it in the stories because they were telling such deep stories in other places that something like, oh yeah, it's a father dealing with the tragedy that's been fallen him, and right. uh, the human fly helps him out at the end. You know, right? It, that's. But now this would be like, oh my God, what a layered story if you were to put the same thing into a comic now in 2022
0: oh this this would be a twenty issue special <laughs> story arc now it's it's um a really good example of the economy of storytelling. There's a lot more here, I think than uh you might get from the first read. you know none of it is is hitting you over the head and none of it is getting in the way of you know this ridiculous story but I appreciate that Mantlow went to the trouble to put it in. You know, and like you said, that was something I think that was kind of, kind of a given in those days. Maybe it -hmm. was something that I think if you just turned in a simple story without, you know, any kind of, even, even if it was just a thimble full of depth, uh, you know, I, I don't think, like you said, I think that would have been considered old
1: fashioned. I don't think that would have been considered a modern story. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a Marvel story. Right. Um, And I think it's something DC took like a really long time. Uh, You know, when I, when I, I think, you know, you hit the like late seventies, mid seventies. And, you know, I, I read like old Lois Lane issues and Jimmy Olsen and whatnot, and their attempts to do this kind of stuff feels like there's work being put into it. Like it's work for DC to, to try and do that sort of thing where it's just part of the architecture of a Marvel story at this point.
0: So getting back to uh, the crazy, what did you think of this bear? I have not seen a bear this scary since New Mutants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Uh, I I thought it was, A, well-rendered. Like mm-hmm. someone someone had gone to the museum to go look at the bear before they drew it. Or had some good photo reference right. laying around. Um, which, you know the dog i can't say they did the exact same amount of work on it. the dog's adorable but the dog keeps changing shape as it passes through. The um, but i thought i thought you know so a few years ago i went to montana uh for a conference and as i stayed for a couple of days afterward and i went to this like grizzly bear thing for basically Mm -hmm. like grizzly bears who are like look they got used to eating human food and they can never be back in the wild because they will eat Mm -hmm. a person Mm -hmm. um and so they took care of them there and when you see these bears you know even from like the 75 feet i probably was from them you really do realize they could just pop your head off without thinking (laughs) about it and that's that's kind of the menace that they managed to i mean those bears weren't being menacing they were just gigantic and terrifying because they're grizzly bears but right. um and i think that's what they were going for here and i i think it was effective um i do think the timing and the story probably should have had somebody missing a head um <laughs> by the time the human fly turns it around and comes back and all that but i thought it was it was they, they didn't need to worry about a villain here. They needed to worry about a threat to mm-hmm. father and son. And it right. was much better than like, uh-oh, they're going to freeze to death or something like that, that who cares? You know, you don't need a human fly for that. You need the human fly to help out if there's a bear.
0: Right, yeah. And, you know, and I like also the fact that they make a point of saying that the bear came down uh, most likely because of hunger. You yeah. know, so the bear is the bear's not evil. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not the demon bear and it's not... Uh, you know, some nefarious plot. It's just a hungry bear being a bear, and you know, and it, it almost got hit by a by
1: a snowmobile. So it's um, you know a little ticked off. I understand that. I, I do worry a little bit about everyone who was at the uh, festival. Uh, now <laughs> I hadn't thought of that till now, but um, the bear's not gone. No, no, it's um, true. It's going to start to
0: smell all those people and their food. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna smell those giant pretzels and want to know what's going on. So. <laughs> You know, and there's another uh, panel that I wanted to point out on. uh, This is page, it's 17 in the book. And it is when the fly is basically going down into the ravine and the team is watching him because they're trying to figure out what's going on. And he's going down without skis, (laughs) which they make a point of of, uh, pointing out. But I love the way Elias rendered this, uh, this page. Everyone is looking, you know, in the same direction. They're all looking at this tiny figure of the fly going down the ravine and the perspective on it, I think is just fantastic as, and as well as the shading, you know, the the shading changes from face to face. And it's, I think
1: it's a, it's a really well done panel. You can't stress enough how much they kind of use the, the gang hanging around uh, to, to kind of push the energy. And you, you switch the panel right before that of, you know, what is their POV? What are they all, you know, they're all looking at mm-hmm. what's happening And then use it kind of as a tunnel then as if you're looking over their shoulders to see this kind of amazing thing that he does of going down uh, without, without skis. Right. Uh, And then follow it with a panel of them all in motion uh, instead Mm -hmm. of, instead of kind of just gasping at the exploits of their, of their boss. I did notice this panel on this page in particular when I was going through reading it because it was part of me looking at like wow they're really using this team as kind of a focal point in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, it, and it's a really well done sequence as you know as you pointed out because one panel leads into the other and it all makes a logical sense. But it's also doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of letting art tell the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to kind of illustrate the guy going down the hill, uh, but you really kind of get the the danger of it from the, the perspective of the people looking at him from the other side. It's a cool panel. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I do find it, now that you've mentioned the hook hands, he is uh, putting them into every frame one way or another.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's whether, uh... whether it.
1: Whether or not it looks like the guy's kind of like doing jazz hands uh, in this panel or not, <laughs> but... Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned that I knew Mike Esposito's name and, and like looking at these inks, everyone kind of has their different opinions on inks and all that. It's not one of the things I like lose sleep over, you know, as a comics fan. Um, the drama, though, that they managed to kind of pull out of this frame and and kind of the, as you said, there's kind of the shadow that's from it's brighter over by the human fly. And by the time you get back to Harmony, um, she's in full shadow. Mm mm-hmm. Uh, that's 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 a fascinating way to make sure the focus stays where it's supposed to,
0: and it's it's very effective. I, yeah. I think it works really well. Uh, you asked what Elias what else Elias has done. He did uh, the Black Cat for uh, Harvey Comics. He also did some work on Beyond Mars, and uh, he did the Green Arrow backup feature in Adventure Comics and World's Finest Comics. In oh, the, interesting! From uh, fifty nine to sixty four. He also co-created the supervillain Eclipso in House of Secrets number 61.
1: Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was a, he was an old hand by the time you get it. It does not look like uh, this, this all looks modern and totally fresh. Uh, I'm shocked to hear he'd been around that long because this all looks and maybe yeah. it's Esposito's inks over someone else's pencils but it absolutely looks like the comics of the era and not someone who's like trying to do you know i love kurt swan but you know he uh his stuff looked like kurt swan and so Mm -hmm. it kind of constantly i mean he he evolved definitely decade to decade but he never quite got the the energy of you know what kirby had brought to the page and that marvel then kind of made the house style right and he kind of was seeping in even in the like the bat books you know by this period and so yeah. it just never quite made it to the super books. Right. And, and not every you're... artist. I
0: mean, a lot of artists, especially <laughs> going from the, uh, from the seventies, eighties, and into the nineties, tried to modify their work to, to reflect, you know, what, what readers were responding to. And that was not always successful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, to see. I, I would be interested to see how, um, Elias's work actually evolved from the time, um, you know, his time in the fifties to, uh, you know, this later in 78, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of time to pass between Do be some digging. Yeah. You know, another thing I appreciated is that the fly <laughs> does do this crazy thing of landing on the back of a bear and, and putting it in a chokehold, which is amazing uh but it does not last very long <laughs> almost immediately the bear flips him off uh well not flips him off flips him off his back <laughs> and, and and uh disarms him and puts him in that bear hug and, you know, this is this is an ongoing theme with the human fly is that he is not a superhero he doesn't want to be a superhero he keeps insisting that he is not a superhero and even when he finds himself in these situations. He gets by on skill and a whole lot of
1: luck. The blind kid actually hitting the bear from about thirty feet away was <laughs> right. a spot of luck. There, um, <laughs> it's what keeps it kind of grounded as a human comic. I mean, I think I think if you think about like the seventies and maybe into the eighties, of I can see a story where like Batman tangles with a bear and something really unique would have to happen to pull his fat out of the fire mm-hmm. certainly daredevil right. um, and you know it's not superman juggling bears or you know whatever <laughs> so or wolverine you know growling at it and you know the bear would run away if wolverine were to do that right um so yeah no i think I th- you know it's just kind of the different levels of of our, our different kinds of heroes as we get through comics when people always kind of want to lump them together it's like Throw a bear at them. What? How do they pass the bear test? Is what I want to know.
0: That should be the new standard for for heroes now. is <laughs> the, the bear test. <laughs> how, how do they do? So let me ask you a question that I have asked every guest.
1: Yes, I would date Blaze. No, wait, what?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm glad someone's speaking up for Blaze. Everyone always goes on about Harmony, so it's nice to see. Nice to see some love for. I'm blaze. I'm a Blaze man. <laughs> <laughs> What well, what I was gonna ask was, uh, do you think there would be any place for the human fly in the Marvel universe today?
1: Yeah, that's a tough, tough question. No, no, you don't think so. I mean, I, I do. I, I think once they got over the the instinct to make him a punchline, mm-hmm. I can see. I can see like. I'm a I I'm I'm of two minds. I can see them one making him a punchline. Like I don't know if you remember like Rocket Raccoon at one point they just drew as a pelt on a wall. Yes. Yeah. Um and then there was but I can also see someone deciding they're gonna do like the grim, gritty graphic novel of the, the human fly story. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the kind of retro stuff we got uh when they do like a prez story in Sandman or something like right. that. Which I thought was awesome, you know. In my twenties, I don't know how I'd react to it now. (laughs) I, I I don't, I, I don't know if this kind of story. I think you'd almost need to have uh, the 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 line of Marvel comics to do it straight. Those Marvel adventures, that. Mm -hmm. uh, But yeah, there's this like line of like they'll do Captain America for a while and Mm then Black Panther. I can see like you could do this completely straight through there. Could you slide him into the same? world where ugh, all the craziness that marvel is right now mm-hmm. i mean i don't know how he'd fit in at this point of course i haven't right. been reading like daredevil or anything in a very long time right and it seems like daredevil would be kind of his world i don't even know what's going on in spider-man these days mm-hmm. so uh,
0: yeah it's who who does yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> but... there's i know there's
1: 40 spider mans
0: so. <laughs> right
1: yeah no i i think
0: i think you're onto something because i think the only way this character really works uh for me at least is to keep him pure Mm. i I think once you start messing too much with his intentions or his uh his background which is actually very uh vague i think if you start fussing with that too much it kind of loses what's appealing about this character so uh i would love to see him you know brought back in some way But, yeah, I cannot see him in the latest Avengers Hate the Inhumans Hate the X-Men book. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I would love to see this character come back in some way. But I don't know how you
1: do that without losing
0: the charm that comes with this
1: yeah i mean i I, my understanding is the kids are definitely reading comics um you know they 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 do their scholastic book orders and you know they're they're doing the captain underpants and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing i think there's probably a place for kind of superheroes like this in that kind of zone uh of kind of the kids who are in the post you know, everything needs to be super cutesy like dog man or whatever. Mm -hmm. This feels like a good, good transition before like you're stuck trying to get through what is up with Daredevil, which I'm not sure I'm emotionally ready for Daredevil. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I I think that there's definitely a, a place for, for this kind of character. And I, it's a, it's a zone that I find fascinating that after living in this world for, you know 60 70 years the comic companies have just abandoned and it it just seems like it's just ripe for the picking and they've kind of just let anime own that space these days Mm -hmm. and manga i i I think that there's probably kids who would be into this stuff at like age eight or so Mm. yeah i mean Mm -hmm. it's before you really want to have to process the fact that everybody's like dark and edgy right i mean Mm -hmm. that that's something that like when you're like 12 13 okay I found that stuff kind of weird when I remember when I first started approaching comics, I once I got into it, I got super into it, but that was like when I was like, you know, middle school, when Mm. I was in elementary school, like Batman was like, I remember picking up a Batman issue and I which I've since bought red and think is awesome of like Batman versus a guy named Colonel blimp. (laughs) Um, It's seriously, it's like great comics. If you can ever find those two issues, but it's it's nice to know that there are characters out there that can just be decent people who are operating from a place of goodness, and it mm-hmm. doesn't need to be treated as a joke. And maybe we're on the edge of of that being a possibility again in comics. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really don't.
0: It would be nice. Well, and kind of along those lines. So you've read this issue now. Was this enough to make you
1: curious about reading
0: more Human Fly?
1: Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I don't mean that ironically. Like, I mean, I do think it's totally kooky. But um, you know, if they did like an epic collection or something, Mm -hmm. um, because oh my gosh, could you imagine that? (laughs) It'd be so. But to see it on that glossy paper with the really punchy colors they've been doing in those, right? Oh man, yeah. And I know. And anyway, I'm not going to get into the whole fight over you know it's intended for newsprint, but I'd be into it. I would. I would pick it up. It's only 19 issues. How hard could it be for them to... I know, right? Because right not... now, without with no ads, this whole issue is only 17 pages.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's crammed with story.
1: It's crammed with... I mean, everything we talked about happened in 17 pages. Mm-hmm. Imagine. <laughs> that would be at least two six-part series now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is true. Five bucks a pop. But yeah, so one of the things uh,
0: making its return, it was the last issue did not have a letters page. Speculated a little bit about that. Probably there's just no room for it. But uh, the letters pages are back. The letters page is back on, in this issue.
1: I read the letters, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so the one I wanted to point out was a one from someone claiming to be <laughs> an actual real superhero. I'm sure this is all tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read this really quick. Dear Marvel, excuse the small print, but I must disguise my handwriting. I'll explain later. I'm writing to you about the human fly. When I read your claim that he's quote, the wildest superhero ever, because he's real. I said, holy heroes. Now for my explanation. The reason I must disguise my usual script. I too crusade in costume. Can you imagine my, my chagrin? There I was, thinking I was the only one nuts enough to run around at night, clad only in tie-dyed long underwear, doing good deeds and bringing hope to the oppressed and who should come along but the fly. Don't get me wrong, there's room for all of us in this biz, and I think the fly is doing some out-of-sight, I mean, really wonderful things. Performing stunts to raise money for charities, etc. Keep it up, fly. And I am far from what he is, having never stood on a jet or wrestled a shark, though I am in practice. Me, I'm just a hometown hero, busting up robberies here and there. So fraternal greetings from one hero to another. Hi, Fly. Rescue Boy. Now, like I said, I'm pretty sure this is tongue-in-cheek, but I also feel like there could have been someone <laughs> running around some town calling themselves Rescue Boy. I mean, when was it? In the in the 90s, early 2000s, when, uh, you know, there was even a, a Stanley-hosted show about... Uh, you know, so-called real right, right. Who wants
1: to be the next superhero?
0: Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. one, you know, there was a, a guy from Austin. You know, where where yeah. which is where we met, and you know, uh, you know, and that was that was a whole thing for a little while there of real people on the street trying not to be vigilantes. They they used to stress, but you know, trying to help people out, and uh, you know, it it strikes me that someone would have this reaction to the human fly
1: i'm of two minds of this i have often heard that people a lot of these letters were just made up
0: That um, too. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> and i can see like mantlow or whomever just <laughs> deciding like you know it'd be funny as if someone complained that they were actually a real you know trying it out but right and of course in the 70s probably something like this wasn't even going to make the news unless someone got injured i i don't i i can totally see someone trying it out i mean i, I don't <laughs> so the first time i ever remember hearing about one of the reels i think that's what they were calling them in like 2003 or four mm-hmm. um was in, i think in the late 80s there was actually a mom in north austin who was featured in like people magazine who drove around in a batgirl costume and mm-hmm. like she never she wasn't like trying to stop anything she was more of like if she saw a sad teen mm. she would pull up and be like why are you so sad talk to Batgirl." girl right which i was like that would turn my day around right. um absolutely but and she talked about some of the stuff she'd helped kids with and whatnot but i can i don't i mean comics have been around at this point for for 40 years there's no reason to think that someone hadn't decided to put on you know long johns and mm-hmm. and you know run around calling themselves rescue boy the the thing that makes me skeptical <laughs> is what did he say he'd been doing stopping robberies because i'm i'm just home down here busting up robberies here and there oh yeah yeah that's what reads false to me about this whole thing yeah because some you would have heard about that well he also probably would be very bruised or dead <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> done it like once <laughs> so oh uh, I, I remember there was a I can't, what show was it was it x files there was a show where where like x files where someone showed up as a superhero in some town and it was like the first time there had ever been like a real superhero and the whole thing was he was having to cause his own crimes for him to go solve because he was like do you know that there's you can't you don't just run across crime like you just you don't just see crime happening on the street that's an invention of tv and comics
0: you mean you don't just hang out on a roof and see people busting into a jewelry shop or anything like that weirdly no (laughs)
1: um so anyway i always think about that of what it would be to actually if you saw someone committing like one i've never seen a robbery Mm -mm. um that i can remember um but what it would mean to actually stop and i'll give you a for instance not too long ago here in austin one night uh there there this is like over christmas uh suddenly like my phone's blowing up like don't go to the mall don't go to the mall gunfire at the mall Mm -hmm. and lost my mind like oh my god active shooter at the mall Mm -hmm. and turned out no active shooter um, it had been some guys who were kind of doing the thing of like, hey, if you just commit a crime, no one will stop you. And they just gone to like Zales with a hammer. Wow. And were just like smash, 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 take, right. take, take. And everybody ran away, as they should. Right. And I'm trying to imagine, I think about like Wonder Woman 1984. Like what what would happen if you did show up in the middle of that and and stop? evil to her. yeah you, you return things to the zales and all will be well right. like you're gonna die yeah you, yeah because the reason gonna... superman was designed the way he was mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> Nothing i think than exploding think, shell right yeah i think what would happen is
0: what happened in wonder woman 84 they start shooting yeah but you, you don't you don't have magical
1: bracers to <laughs> to yeah. block bullets
0: yeah you know that's yeah
1: that's you're uh... gonna get winged or you're gonna get beat up or something horrific is gonna happen to you Mm -hmm. um i don't know if there's any the guy i think his name was phoenix jones who was the one Mm -hmm. i think in seattle Mm -hmm. like i don't know if he ever actually stopped anything and then in the end did you hear this this is so off topic He ended up like getting busted for like drug trafficking. Oh God. (laughs) Like it's like Phoenix Jones. No. No. Don't do oh why. Oh no. I guess the being a real superhero didn't pay dividends. Oh he went down the speedy route. That's (laughs) oh, what's so sad. Oh (laughs) Green
0: Green Arrow, where are you when we need you? Oh that's my ward. My ward Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's too bad. It's, 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 uh, so the idea of like a stunt man, I mean, it, it seems unlikely he would actually notice another, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever I'll, I'll accept he's willing to take risks. And so he would leap to the aid of someone. Right. I buy it. He's not leaping between some, like a bullet. He's, he's, he's gonna, he thinks he's going down basically to help the kid out and his dad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that is, that is, uh. That is true of the human fly. As I said, he does not aspire to be a hero. There's another letter here that fellow fire and water podcaster Rob Kelly will appreciate because he is, there is someone who is actually calling for a Marvel treasury edition of the, of the human fly. And how awesome would that have been? Oh man. Yeah. I, I would, can I, I would love to see this action in treasury size. <laughs> you know. That would, that would I, I'm not
1: great. gonna. I'm not gonna argue. With it. Yeah, yeah. I I would dig it. I still want my my epic collection. Right. Human fly. I'm curious. Do you know what the rights are now to the human fly? I mean, they belong to Human Fly International.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, there is a, there is a Human Fly International, and they <laughs> they have the rights. They actually released a, uh, a comics called the new call a comic called the New Adventures of the Human Fly. Uh, a few years ago it's available on amazon if you want to get that okay. and yeah it's i believe i'm almost 100 i am actually uh positive that they are also the people behind a documentary that is has been in the works for a few years about the human fly M- more specifically about the actual real life human fly sure yeah absolutely yeah so yeah they they uh those rights still belong to somebody uh, I don't believe it is uh, any connection to the original owners. Yeah, they they have the rights and they have been trying to do something with it. So we'll have to see where that goes.
1: <laughs> you gotta love showbiz. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a property nobody's ever heard of, and somebody's still clinging to it, trying mm-hmm. to breathe life into this. I mean, I don't, I don't know. In twenty, well, you know, I take it back. I do know what the, what the likelihood of people being into like stunts is because there's now two different shows of people doing crazy stunts. Yeah. One of which debuted like yesterday, it was like America's got talent extreme <laughs> and which um, then the other one is the Rosario Dawson show, uh, mm-hmm. the go big show. Right. And it's people like doing things that you're like, what? why? <laughs> um, well, and, and they just released the jackass movie a few weeks ago. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's still a place in this world for like a crazy person to do crazy things. Mm -hmm. I have not heard of anybody climbing the outside of a building though. Not recently. That hasn't happened in a
0: long time. Yeah. No, It's interesting that you say that because part of the way the human fly was introduced in the United States was actually, uh, when he was featured on that's incredible, you remember, oh, of you remember course. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah of course mm-hmm. yeah his big uh wing walking uh stunt was on on that's incredible and that's how he was in- introduced to uh Amer- the
1: american audience
0: ryan is there anything else you wanted to say about this issue
1: uh no i i talked for an hour longer than i expected to on this issue so i think <laughs> it's probably wrap it up here thank All you so right. much for having me on though it's been an absolute delight well thank you for being on don't why don't you tell everyone where they can find you again usually in Austin in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm at the signalwatch.com or signal-watch.com. That's where you can find uh, blog posts as well as um movie uh, it's almost all movie stuff these days. And and we do do a pod, a little podcast uh, you know, few, few, few listeners here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a fraction of what you guys get, but mm-hmm. um we are out there. So I, I welcome you to, to swing on by and hear what we have to say. I recu- I'm I'm recording the Expendables on Thursday. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gonna be a good one. <laughs>
0: I'm still kind of mad about the Expendables, so I kind of wish the recording were now. <laughs> oh, bad! Well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Ryan, again, thank you so much for, for coming on, and this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I hope to have you on again. Yeah. We'd love to do it. Anytime. And thanks to you, the listeners. The Death Defying Human Flycast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you'd like to subscribe or leave a comment for the Human Flycast, you can do that on our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at humanflycast and on Instagram at fwp underscore max. Be sure to follow and tag the network with hashtag fwpodcasts. If you'd like to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash fwpodcasts where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution and unlock various rewards, including getting name-checked on this or any network show of your choice. Just like listener Chip Donahue. Big thanks for your support, Chip. And thanks again to you, High Flyers. And remember, the wildest superheroes are real.
1: But somehow they just don't end up as mine. It's a death life I leave. I take my chances i
0: die for a living in the movies and
1: TV, but the hardest thing I ever do is watch my leading ladies kiss some other guy while I'm bandaging my
0: knee. I might fall from a tall building, i might